Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome back. This is a experiment. It's been six months since Adam and I did our solo episodes, and we had so much good feedback on it, and so many people saying, you guys should do more episodes together. Uh, and then we realised it'd been a whole bloody six months, so we were like, okay, let's let's do something. So we're going to see what happens. It's amazing how quick this year has gone, and I can't believe it's over six months since we recorded those, because it only seems like it was a few few months ago at max. I suppose that's just been a kind of an evident to what the past year has been like in terms of just time flying by when everything kind of merges into one. Yeah, it's crazy. So the the format of this show is throughout our lives, we're just going to write random thoughts down in our notes and then we're going to discuss those random topics that we've thought of. I mean, mine are all over the place. Mine are Star, Star Wars and pro wrestling and literally all over the place. And some of them might turn into half an hour conversations. Some of them might be 30 seconds and we're done. But we will see. So do you want to go first? So one thing that I wrote um, is that branding leads to status signaling and you need to become someone's status signal. Define becoming someone's status symbol. As kind of human beings, when you kind of think about the things that you buy, the things that you eat, the things that you post on your social media, the things that the things that make you you are basically a huge set of status signals. And by status signals, it's showing to the outside world who you are it's kind of purveying your character in the form of physical objects i was sat in the pub the other day and just discussing this with one of my friends because I'd, I'd written it down earlier that day and i was just like oh have a what do you think of this because he's someone who i talked about these kind of things and um i was like what's interesting is the fact that we're not just sat in like any pub here we're sat in a brew dog and that pub has very specific kind of craft beers they're quite expensive bits as well. So it's like, it's not the kind of place you'd want to go to for like a long session because of the expense of that. But I was like, by being in this place, even though it's just the two of us and we both know that we both like this kind of beer, we're signaling to ourselves and to the other p- person and then also to anyone we tell. So also by me now saying this on this podcast, it's then again, me signaling my status around that certain thing to the world. And it's really interesting when we think about the brands that we buy, anything that we consume, anything that we do, where there's an element that we could tell someone else about it. It's elevating our status within a certain arena. That made me think about as a creative, as someone who's got a product, as a service, a business, how can you become a status signal to someone else? So if you created a t-shirt brand, for example, that people would want to buy because by buying that and by wearing that, it then signals something about them to the outside world. So we should all be aiming to do that, to become someone else's status, because then we're going to sell more units, essentially. So as an artist, if someone buys your work, what does that say about them? So if you're listening to this and you think about the anything you've bought recently, what is it? What, why did you buy that? Like you might just say, because I liked it, but that's, that's kind of the surface level thing. We actually need to dig deeper down into that of like why you actually bought it. Like, but if you bought a piece that is, say, a street art related piece or something like that, then that's going to show something to your friends, to the people that you know, like to the world, that you like this kind of thing. And that says something about you. So I think really analyzing like why you buy the things you do and then thinking about, well, in that case, who is my work for? And by buying my product, my service, whatever it is that you're selling, how is that going to benefit someone else's life? How is that going to allow them to show status in a certain area to their peers? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned art there because art is always pictured as 
it doesn't serve a purpose. It's it has no function. There's no u- utility to art. But that is exactly what it does do. Is it it signals, doesn't it? And it. Um, but then that being said, I mean, no one has been to my flat for. I mean, I can count on one hand the amount of people that have been to mine and Yona's flat since we've had it. So everything that's within our house doesn't is is not for outward projection for other people. It's not like we want people to see. But then I suppose it do, it does have a very internal monologue of what it means to us i think houses are quite an interesting thing as well because they're the kind of thing that we live in 99 percent of the time generally our houses are only used by us so many purchases that we make are based on the idea that if someone came round, what would they think of it because otherwise we would only buy things based on form and practicality because then it's like well this actually serves a purpose here because as soon as we put art on the walls, as soon as we buy furniture that may look really nice, but isn't the most comfortable furniture, that's almost like the idea of when someone comes around, they can be like, this is a nice flat. And then we get a nice little ego boost from that. Like it fulfills something inside us that is more than just like this serves the purpose that it does. Even if that's kind of, if we, if I spent a lot of money on a light fixture, then that would then kind of increase my own own belief in myself that I've got taste in lighting and I'm the one to talk to when it comes around this certain aesthetic because it's building this idea in my head of, well, this is what I value status in and this is how I want the world to perceive me as being an expert in that thing. So by buying something that is of a high level, high level of design, expensive or something within that field, then that's going to signal to other people that I'm the person to talk to when it comes to making a lighting decision or something in the future. Mm. I, I think it was something I've definitely been so much more aware of when sort of launching my career over the past year in terms of the of the paintings. And the way that I did that was by saying no a lot of the times. So not being associated with with products or projects that that I felt made me look like less of an artist I, i've very much played hard to get when something like will you do a painting for shaquille o'neal comes across then i'm like well yes because that does project out the the kind of status that i want is that is that my work is hanging in the house of a celebrity um, and now several celebrities which is which then makes my work desirable um, and i think if if you do if you do make something so rather than a service you actually create something I think that however, especially if it's handmade, even if you work 24 hours a day, it's still going to be a limited edition because there's only a certain amount of pieces that you could make. So if you look at a Keith Haring, so much of the status wrapped up in owning a Keith Haring is that he's now passed away. So it's impossible for anyone to get a new Keith Haring. It projects out that it's very expensive. So you are a person that knows about popular art that owns very very hard to get art but when you think about Haring's output while he was alive he created so many pieces of work but then as soon as he dies they are it's still limited edition and I think the whole ethos of limited edition is really important I think all artists should portray that their work is limited edition because it is because there's only so many pieces that you're going to be able to create before you croak I think what's another thing interesting to kind of like delve into there is when you think about just like prints so for example, like at the moment, I think about Banksy as an example. His work will sell for a lot of money at auction or wherever it's going to be sold. And people perceive the value of it, the value of it to be really high. 
but you can go down to Camden Market, Portobello Road, and buy a photograph of that work. And lots of people will still do that and put that up. So I think that's an interesting one as well. It's like, when it comes down to the status, it's like, if you bought one of those prints, it's like, is that, like, what is that signaling? Are you buying it to show that you have an interest in that form of art and you want to be perceived as cool in the area? Or are you trying to buy an original that then displays that you're an expert in the art world? They're two very different things. Even though the item on your wall might look identical, it's having that, like, I know that this is a real one compared to this is a print that's been bought off a market. And I suppose it's the same with kind of like knockoff clothing and things like that. It's like to most people, the outside world wouldn't know the difference. And I suppose that's what a brand is. It's you putting your own status on something, you giving worth to something that might be made of the same thing, might be visually identical. But for the fact that you know that one's real and one's not, you seem to care about one so much more. It's interesting that you mentioned Banksy because he played with that very idea and a couple of years ago set up in Central Park selling originals for like $5 each. And as soon as you put that $5 price tag on it, no one knew that it was in fact Banksy and they could have bought an original that would be worth several thousand dollars that they could buy it for just $5. But because they didn't see the status, they didn't realise that 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 was, they just thought it was a Banksy knockoff. Um, And why wouldn't you? I mean, I I would have walked past them and definitely not bought one. Um, I would have made like, yeah, a really grave mistake if I'd been in Central Park on that day. But that's the the kind of funny thing. I suppose he's so perceptive in that sort of stuff that, that, yeah, he he realised that as soon as you know it's me, you're going to pay me millions for it because I've got a name, because I have status, because I have a brand. But because none of that is visible here in Central Park, I'm not, he didn't, he sold a few, but he hardly sold any. And it's just, a, yeah, an amazing experiment that, that basically describes everything you just said and puts it into into a bundle there. Yeah, it's just, that's such a perfect example. Um, and I suppose it's, now we kind of have to like think of like, how do we make our work desirable? How do we make it that things actually, people want to buy that? Especially if you're someone who's earlier on in their career, how can you make it so your work is something that people want. I think the easiest way to do that is to have some form of message or something that's attached to it. So it's like, by buying this item, this says this about me. And if you can make that clear to your customer, I think that can really help them understand why they should buy it. We are so tribal and it's such an ingrained human behaviour that we want to, we want the people that we feel are like us to, we want to communicate that we are and that we're we're all cool and we're, this is these are the things that we believe so we should all stick together and and it's it's so interesting so like if a guy with a flash car pulls up to me i would say nothing to me because i know nothing about cars and so it's so funny that it's only to your tribe that it does become important but then your your tribe are the only people that you care about at the end of the day it's like my work i i only make it for the people who dig it and the people that don't i don't really care I'm not trying to win those people over. And I think that's maybe a problem that a lot of creators face is that they want to go for a mainstream audience, whereas they would be better just niching down and making something that only applies to a certain subsect of people. Because whatever that small sect of people is, I guarantee, well, I don't guarantee, but I almost guarantee that there's going to be enough for you to survive on. Yeah. And I think the only way to hit the mainstream is to hit that niche first. You need to find that small group of people for them all to think it's cool. And then as soon as you've got a pool of people who think something's cool, everyone on the periphery of that are looking in it and they're like, 
own a bit of that. And then I think that's where mainstream kind of attention starts to come around it. You see it a lot with like gentrification in certain areas, especially in London, where you've got areas that artists have moved to because the rent's cheap. That area becomes quite cool and popular. And then everyone else is a bit like, oh, that's the new cool area. So they start going there and that's when kind of investment starts to go into an area and you start to get, and it ends up just losing all of that character because those people who were originally there making it cool and trendy then get outpriced of it and then they find somewhere new and then that becomes the new cool thing. I think you see that a lot with brands as well where it's cool for the time being, but if as soon as it becomes that mainstream thing, it kind of loses its appeal. So actually by aiming for the mainstream, that can actually negatively impact what you're doing rather than just trying to stick with your niche, trying to be with your tribe and making sure that you're always making work for them. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, moving on to my first thing that I had written down, and of course it's Star Wars, um, which, I mean, that certainly grew into a cult series that had had really sort of mainstream appeal. Um, but I'd imagine probably started off with a small kind of subsect of sci-fi fans um, and, then it, yeah. and then it broke out into the mainstream. And I think one of the ways that it's become so ingrained in culture is because of the stories and the sort of archetype stories that, that George Lucas followed. And what I was thinking about in, in regards to creatives and creativity was the way that the characters work. And this is not just Star Wars. This is, this is all fiction in general, really. There's always the older veteran who knows how we do something. But then there's also the young maverick who learns from the master but then in the end actually does things their own way so and i just thought that was a perfect metaphor for creators is that they can listen to this podcast and they can listen to two i mean it's a bit of a brag to say that we're yodas maybe we're not quite yodas yet <laughs> but definitely like we've got a lot of experience at least obi ones. yeah maybe but we, we've, we've <laughs> definitely got like maybe Qui-Gon Jinns, but we've, we've got a little bit of experience there. Like we, we have experience. We have the way that we've done things. And then we are teaching that forward to the Padawans who are learning everything that we've done. But in the end, there'll be some sort of unique twist that they put on their work that we've not thought of that will, that will ultimately be their success. And I just thought that was really interesting that, that how it happens in a movie is actually how it happens in real life as well. When it comes to your creative practice, you will look at everyone who's gone before. You will see what worked for them. You will see the success. You will learn from them. But then ultimately, you will do something unique and original for you. And then that will be the key to success. Yeah, that reminds me of something I was listening to the other day, actually. It was um, a book by Naval. And in that they were talking about it was just one little sentence that he said that really kind of stuck in my mind of just how different everyone is and how unique every single person is and the fact that no one is replaceable perfectly with someone else. And I think when you think about kind of members of staff, like your friends, like anyone, if you thought, okay, who's the most similar person to that who could come and fulfill this role, whether that is kind of within a relationship or work or whatever. And I feel like there'll always be something that's slightly different because everyone's had completely different upbringings. Everyone's come from different places. Everyone's had completely different experiences in their life. And I think as soon as you realize that actually everyone is completely different, that's where the uniqueness is going to come from. And I think by leaning on what it is that's unique about you, that's where things are really going to start to become unique, especially in creative practices. You find that, yeah, everyone starts off by just copying the masters and learning from the masters. And then it gets to a stage where 
they have to make the decision of kind of going out on their own, which isn't easy because it's they've got success so far by just replicating the things that other people have been doing. But that's only going to hit a certain ceiling. I think it's as soon as people start to put that uniqueness that is unique to them on it, that things really interesting start to happen and they do start to drift away from just replicating and start inventing something that is new, is in innovative. But then I think that is something that comes with time. It's not something that you can, you kind of need to learn from the masters first before you go off on your own. I think by doing that, you're rarely going to see success in the same way you would than by going a more traditional route. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely ways of learning when you're when you're sort of sat on your own um, and you just become interested in a thing. I think I think it was Kurt Cobain who learned to play the guitar and he plays it backwards because no one ever showed him this is how you hold a guitar. So literally, the most fundamental thing of picking the instrument up. But he still made great music because he he was completely self-taught. But I just think like when we started having apprentices in our first business, like we were able to teach them all of the mistakes that we'd learned so that they didn't have to go through those mistakes. They could just like bypass that and they became great painters so much faster because they were able to be shown by an expert. This is what you do. Yeah, I think as soon as there's a tool, then that tool has generally been created over a really long period of time by trial and error, tweaking things, making things perfect for like what they need to be. I think as soon as things had that much thought behind it, then just picking it up and trying to work that out on your own, it's possible, but it can take a really long time. This reminds me of when we talked to Roger Kneebone in his book, Expert. And he talks about how, yes, you can learn something by just picking it up and trying and trying and trying and failing. But actually, there's a good chance that someone has done that before. So why not learn from them? By doing that, that's massively going to shortcut the learning process. And I think once you've got the fundamentals and you understand how something works, then it's a lot easier to then go and make your own spin on it rather than just kind of trying as you go along and be like, oh, this kind of works. This really doesn't. I think finding someone who's done it before is such a beneficial way to actually go through and do it and actually look at how they've that person's learned previously and actually take their advice because i think quite often we just want to shortcut to the end we want to be in master at something really really quickly and we don't want to actually put the work in so for example like at the moment i'm just doing some like drawings around kind of bit comic booky style stuff and you can just look at an image and just copy it and then you'll kind of get a rough idea of like body proportions and things like that um, but then as soon as you start to look into well who's the best at these things and actually the people who are like experts who are like like drawing comics for marvel and all like the biggest brands when you look at the courses and information that they put out online it all starts with really basic things like proportion and thinking about okay well, this is how a body works and i remember listening to um i think it was uh, there's a comic book artist called mark silvestri i think it's something that he said a long time ago where, where it's like if you want to learn to become a comic book artist you need to like get an anatomy book you need to study how the actual human body is formed so don't start in the art world start like by actually going and getting a medical book so you can understand where muscles form how the skeleton's mm. built and then building it up that way and understanding the fundamentals before you just throw yourself into something that's taken someone else their whole career to get to this level just by replicating that i think you're only ever going to get so far you're only ever really going to be able to copy things or copy things based on like the things that you've drawn before from memory which again can take a really long time so you're only going to build up your skill set in that by just like putting in the hours of doing it over and over and over again which may seem really time consuming at the start to actually be like okay i'm gonna study 
anatomy, understand how the human body works, how that all kind of goes together. And then it's like, once you've actually put that time in, then you can just create everything from your head because you know the, you know the fundamentals, you know how things work. You know that by having something in this angle, it's going to appear like this. So I think there's the two approaches to it. There's the one study side of it that's going to not see any rewards in the short term. No one's going to tell you you're great. No one's going to tell you your art's good because you're still studying. But then as soon as you've understood it, then you're going to come out of a product that is really, really good compared to someone who just tries to copy over and over again over a really long period of time. And yes, at the start, for those first few years, it might look like that other person's getting a lot more praise. But by actually learning the fundamentals properly, it's going to be the person who's done that that's going to be more successful in the long term in terms of being able to just create so much output because it'll be they'll understand how it works in their head rather than just recalling their memory to be able to create something cool so uh, moving on to my next point now um i just wanted to, i thought we'd have a little debate about how important it is to have a neat instagram feed i think that leaving behind the feed aesthetic is the most liberating thing i've ever done because i felt so trapped by having to know every third image had to be a certain thing so that it would look fancy when people arrived on my page um i think the reason that i don't do feed aesthetics is because firstly i think if you do the ones where you break an image up across multiple squares if i follow you i find that really annoying i just want to see the picture don't make me go to your page to see the picture just let me see it in my feed i don't want to see a corner of it and then followed by 10 minutes later, another corner of it. I just want to see the whole thing. For me, like I feel it's really important to be making work for the people that follow you rather than trying to attract in new followers. Because as soon as you really focus on your people that already follow you, you'll actually find that they'll be sharing your work and you will bring in new followers anyway, but only because you're dedicated to the new people. And I feel like a, a feed aesthetic is it only serves... The new people coming in it doesn't serve your existing audience so that's my reasoning behind it i can see why people do it i just don't think it's that important i think as long as when someone visits my page they can see what i do and it's not just a random mash of like here's my friend here's my artwork here's a talk i gave and here's a do you know what i mean like just a whole mishmash of things as long as when they scroll like there might be the occasional thing that's different, but for the most part, it's going to be what they're expecting. Then I think that's enough to win over a new follower. See, like I, I really agree with what you said there about when people break things up, because I like I think yes, it might look good on your feed having like nine images that all merge together to make something, but then just the pressures that that puts on you. Then of okay, well, if I'm going to maintain that, it means I have to put three images up every time I do something, just to keep that all aligned and looking the way that you want it to. And I think that can be that can be debilitating when it comes to like, well, actually I'm not I'm not gonna post then because I I've only I haven't got three things to post on there. Or people make the mistake of posting three of basically the same thing, maybe in a different colorway or something that's like it basically all looks the same. And the quality of each one of those three isn't as good as it would have been if it was just one. So I think, yeah, that can be that can be really bad. And yeah, having having just the idea of feed before grid first is definitely the way to approach it because that's where people see stuff like if you look at your instagram analytics then if you look at where your post has been seen you can see it okay well this is how many times it's been seen on my profile this is how many times it's been seen in the feed it's so much more in the feed so 
having that idea of okay well i'm going to catch someone's attention for a short amount of time let's be as good a value for them as possible but i think what you said about creating work for the people who are following you already i think that's great once you've already got an audience but if you've still got a really small audience who probably just people that you know your friends a couple of people who've bumped into you come across it then that could be quite hard because actually the people who are following you currently aren't the people who are going to buy your products so i think that can be it's like there's this kind of middle stage of knowing like before you've got an audience of people who are actually purchasing your work regularly but there still needs to be that thing thinking about okay well who is going to buy it and if that person landed on my page would they be interested before um, we started recording this i actually kind of went on instagram i thought out of interest i'm going to go and look at some of the people who are following us and then just see how kind of how their feeds look and how like what my opinion of it is if i'm not following them already and it was quite interesting to see actually because quite a few people had like really good feeds i was like i expected them to be really mishmash but i was like actually a lot of these people like it's coming across really well and uh, there was definitely some that i was like oh i wouldn't employ this person i wouldn't follow this person because there was a level of inconsistency i think there's definitely the difference between trying to have an instagram account that's just going to grow on instagram compared to having an instagram account that's going to actually sell something and i think if it's something that's going to sell something it needs to have a level of aesthetic to it so when people come to it they're like well if this costs a lot of money i want to be able to see that there's a quality thing here like if you were going to buy something for a thousand pounds and you went on the website and it was the most basic thing ever actually say this now i'm thinking about supreme's website which is like the worst most basic simple thing ever but that's almost like ironic at the fact that it's just so ridiculously simple and it doesn't really matter there but if you're going to buy a like a, an expensive car for example or something that like is quite a high value ticket item then you kind of want there to be a level of like this is nice this is an experience that i'm going into this is an experience that i'm buying and if it's all part and packaged together nicely i think that can work really well so i think it is important to have it so when someone lands on your page that yes yeah, not necessarily i think what you described earlier about when people have like certain shapes and stuff and like if it's something that you can just add on to make it look a certain way it's almost like a the image is the same but you're adding something to that for example like white borders you're trying to fit nine in a certain space then that's often where it gets really bad whereas i think what can work really well for a nice feed aesthetic is to just have stuff that just works together and i think your body of work whatever your like your services whatever you're providing there should be some form of uniformity to those anyway so let's say for example i'm a chef i think if you've got okay well here's one picture of just the kitchen here's another picture of a close-up plate and they're shot completely different ways the color palette's completely off the next one's just a text image of a recipe and then the next one's like just a picture of a knife it's like if there's no kind of visual uniformity to that i think someone's going to land on the page and be like this is just a mess it's the first impression i do and i think especially when you're getting started as well you need to make that best first impression possible because you've got no social proof yet so i think earlier on in the journey having that when you come to a page you know what you're going to get from it so for example i think of our previous guest what willie cooks and so you go on his page and it all looks the same like you know what you're going to get from the next post you get an idea of who he is really really quickly and i think it's getting that across in a short period of time that is important to think about it's like when someone lands on your feed what do they see there and is it going to be appealing to them 
to be actually kind of follow along and then see more of it. Yeah, one thing I do is I always look at the most recent post and if it was six weeks ago, it's most likely that I'm not going to follow them. Uh, and I know it's something 100%. that a lot of people don't want to hear, but being current and keeping up your social media is is really important in terms of that that first impression. And social media is not the be all and end all. It's I think it's great because it's such an easy platform. It's like you can make your full time living just by having some social media accounts, but you don't have to go that route. If you're not going to keep the upkeep on it, then maybe a website is better for you. Maybe going on LinkedIn and getting a load of connections there and having real time meetings with people, maybe that's the route for you. It's it's communication. It's having to, what you have to use your social media platforms to do is communicate out. Um, and whether that's communicating status, um, communicating that how uh, current and busy you are, it communicates how popular you are because of the the follow account that you have. And that's also wrapped up in status to link back to our first chat. Everything about your feed is is communication. So whilst I don't think you should spend loads of time worrying about a specific grid aesthetic, I do think that can definitely work. And I think you should spend your time on making sure that you are communicating correctly and whatever that is you want to communicate out. Maybe that's having a, an amazing looking feed aesthetic. Maybe that is your communication. Maybe that's how you do it. For me, I don't I don't do it that way. I can see definitely see the benefits from it, but I just think it's it's when you start focusing above all else on the feed aesthetic. For me, like yeah. I used to worry about it. And then as soon as I stopped worrying about it, I found I found out actually that I grew a lot more quickly. There's a, a word you said earlier about if you're if you're not prepared to make the upkeep of it, then try something else. But I think whatever it is you're gonna try is gonna require upkeep because like, it's a business. There's not anything that you just set up and it just goes and runs forever and you never have to touch it again. It's like if you've got a website, you're going to need to be updating your blogs, keeping it fresh. So Google kind of keeps keep, keeps giving it good rankings. If it's LinkedIn, that's a lot of connecting with people, having those conversations. You can't just go out there and have 10 great conversations and that's going to sort you out for life. Those relationships will die off eventually. So it's making sure that you're consistently turning up to wherever you choose to spend your time. And I think like with your feed as an example, Yes, you might not have decided that I'm going to make this look a really great aesthetic, but your work's consistent. So there is a level of consistency there that as people land on the page, they're like, hey, well, this is consistent. I can see this all works well together because it all has a certain theme and aesthetic to it. So I think that's probably what the kind of lesson is here, I suppose. You're not thinking about, I need to make this look great for Instagram. You're thinking about, I need to make my work look great as a as a body of work it needs to all work together i think thinking about it like this is my gallery show this is like the way that i'm displaying my thing to the world someone's going to enter it and all the pieces are going to work well as a body of work that can obviously change over time people go through different periods of trying different things but i think having that thing that when people land there they know what to expect they can see that everything works together and they know who you are they know what kind of things that you create yeah i'm i'm always saying to people maybe it's just how you present it because i as soon as i switched from still images to videos that was when i saw my success and it's it's the same work but now i just present it in video form as opposed to yeah. still image form and it does so much better so uh it is all about presentation and you there's a lot of creators that might not actually have to change the work they might just have to change how they present it out to the world um, I think maybe at some point we should do a whole 
special on Instagram. If you guys would uh, would be interested in that, we'll we'll kind of gauge how popular a thought that is. But um, drop us a message yeah. or leave a comment on our Instagram, and if that's something you guys want, then maybe we should uh, look into doing that. Yeah, and if you're not following us on Instagram already, it's at Rebels Crate on Instagram. If people want to know more about Instagram, DM us on Instagram because then we're going to know that you actually have an interest in it. So for my for my next uh, point. I'm going to get a bit interactive. I'm going to play a clip. And if this clip will do one of two things to you, it will either make you want to give up or it will make you go, fuck yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, it is from a pro wrestling documentary about Stone Cold Steve Austin. There's a sacrifice to greatness. And it's a price that a lot of people are not willing to pay because there is an intensity to it. There is an obligation to your own vision and dreams that you have to service at all costs over and above everyone else in your life, including yourself. Your own self-interests take a backseat to your dreams and aspirations of what you want to achieve. Boom. That is literally like where, so the word passion comes from the kind of Latin phrase to sacrifice. And I feel like that just sums that up just so perfectly. Yeah, I actually got goosebumps when uh, when I listened to that. It's um, a documentary about Steve Austin. That's a guy called Paul Heyman who is is very he's very good with words. Um, he cuts amazing promos in the pro wrestling world, and yeah, he he just summed that up so beautifully because the whole documentary. I mean, Steve Austin he he's his body is a wreck because of pro wrestling, and he sacrificed his body to become the greatest, to become an absolute superstar. But yeah, just just hearing that of like if you are a creator like you do sacrifice so much and it, it's 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 not the easy path of the nine to five job or your friends who are getting mortgages and getting pay rises and doing really well if you're a creator you don't you don't have that you don't have that like you have sacrifice you have you sacrifice your relationships um, because you don't have enough time because you're working on your thing. And that could be like romantic relationships, relationships with friends, family, like just because time, your time is so limited, you have less time to see see people. Um, for many of us in the beginning, there's a the huge sacrifice of money, but there's something more, there's something that's driving you on. And and for me is greatness. And I, I hear that and I'm like, yeah, I am happy with the sacrifices I've made in my life. And I'm not saying that I'm great yet, but I'm happy with the choices I've made, always being in pursuit of greatness and always like wanting to become better and like wanting to help people and wanting to teach people and and wanting other people to find greatness as well. Like I'm actively encouraging people to to be great because I like I want them to sacrifice. I want them to go through the the hard struggles. Because it's really interesting. We were talking earlier about about making mistakes and we were saying learn from someone so that you don't have to make those mistakes. And there's a big trend in entrepreneurship of like fail forward and fail often and all of that stuff. I don't like to fail often. I like to fail as little as possible. And yes, it is a big learning if you do make a, if you do have a massive fail. But like if you can see it and avoid it, then that's smarter than just going through it blindly. Do you know what I mean? And then learning on the other side of it. So I'm I'm really actively like hoping that that people don't fail, but that there is obviously an element to that. 
So so avoid the failure as much as possible. But like you can't avoid the sacrifice. It's fucking impossible. So I think with sacrifice, it's understanding what you're sacrificing for. And I think that's what it comes down to. It's like as soon as you have the passion, have the thing that you want to be doing every day, you know that by sacrificing, like we and unfortunately in life, it's kind of short. We can't do everything. So it's thinking about, okay, well, what, what actually do we want to do with that time? Like being a little bit selfish and thinking, how do I want to spend my short little blip of eternity on this earth? And I think that's where the idea of sacrifice comes into it because we can't do it all. We can't have it all. We can only have the short amount of time we have. So it's making sure that that time that we do have is as enjoyable as possible. We're doing things for ourselves. We're doing things because we want to do them. We're doing things because we can't not do them. And making sure that like there is still the balance in life of making sure you still have friendships and you still have these other things too like not letting your art can completely consume you because i think just as a human we need those things to keep us going as well but once you know what you want you just need to put all your time into just making that happen i think it's having that idea in advance of well actually yes i'm going to sacrifice this but that allows me to do this other thing i think what a lot of people do is they'll be like oh actually i'm going to sacrifice that i'm not going to go and do that but then it's like well what are you going to fill your time with then if you're not filling your time with something that's actually going to drive you to where you want to get to, then you might as well go and do that other thing. And this this makes me think about something I was thinking about the other day as well when it comes to employees. It's like if you want to outsource something to someone else in your creative career, so for example, like your accounting, your like even like parts of the process, what are you going to spend that time doing? And it's like making sure that you're not just outsourcing for the sake of outsourcing because i just don't like doing this it should allow you to do more of the thing that you want to be doing so if you're going to outsource something it's making sure that okay well the time i'm now saving there how are you going to put that back in and i think this is something we need to think about as creatives it's making sure that the time we spend is always driving us towards where we want where we want to go to we're not just kind of wasting that time thinking oh actually i'm just going to outsource that because i don't really want to do it it's making sure that we're always driving towards it even if it feels like it this is hard work this isn't what i actually want to be doing right this second that's all going to help us get to where we want to get to and i think yeah through sacrifice that's the only way that can happen you blew me away with your little bit of latin earlier um and now you've given me a perfect chance to flex a little bit as well um the word decide actually means to cut out and yeah i think that's that's the key there isn't it it's deciding because like life is so there are so many possibilities in life there there are it's that it's paralyzing to most people because there's it's like when you wake up on a sunday and you've got nothing planned for the day you end up doing nothing because there's so many things that you could do that you actually don't do anything people spend their whole lives that way and by yes there 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 might be an opportunity for you to go and do ceramics because that's something that you're really good at but you also really enjoy photography and you're also a a part-time chef and you've got all of these varied passions it's like for a lot of people that's going to hold them back until they decide until they cut out the other ones and they go fully into one route that then they can achieve greatness in that thing rather than just being like spread thinly across multiple ideas or and and like and that's me being generous and and giving it like loads of creative examples for most people it's not it's like fucking netflix and like it's just time wasting stuff that they would rather they would rather be doing those easy comfort things things that we've spoken in episodes before with experts that that 
we get it like it's fucking hard to break away from those things because they are designed to trap you in their sticky web but like as soon as you do free yourself from those what what are basically just distractions then then you've got your time your time to focus on a craft and becoming really fucking good at something yeah and i think finding that focus is really important and what you said about like waking up on a sunday not not knowing what to do I like, feel like for us that happened this week we woke up and we we're like oh we didn't have a plan for today normally we like to try and have something in advance so we know what we're going to go and do but we quite quickly decided what we did want to do that day by just working out what we didn't want to do and it's like well actually okay well what options do we have to do today that are like realistic so let's like list them out and then we kind of said oh well actually are we feeling kind of well we did this yesterday so maybe let's try to do something different today and it is just that deciding it's cutting out the things that we don't want to do and then as soon as you kind of have two things, it's like, well, which one of these would I rather do out of those two things? And it's instead of just looking at everything as a huge, broad idea of like, I could, I could go and do anything today. It's like, what would I rather do? What would I want to do? And then even if that is 10 things, then just take two of those things and say, okay, well, which out of these two would I rather do out of those two? And it's just breaking that down, narrowing that down. And I think this can happen with, kind of when it comes to like finding your passion quote unquote or finding what it is you want to do it's like thinking about well out of just these if i only had these two options if i was like was forced to make the decision between these two which one would i go for and i feel like even that can be quite hard but what i started to do now is to say to people which would you miss more if you didn't have it and i think as soon as you have that mindset around it then you suddenly think in a much more kind of open way about it it's more it's easier to make those decisions because you're like well if I didn't have this in my life, it would affect me more than not having this other thing in my life. And I think as soon as you think about it in terms of your life, I think that makes it, it just kind of opens it up to a bit more like, there's a bit of longevity to this. It's like, yes, I might want this little snack now. It's like, would you like this snack now? Or would you like a great meal later? And having that different kind of thought process there of like, oh, well, I'd actually rather have that forever than this. Yeah, they did that experiment, didn't they? Where they offered people, would you like 10 pounds now or a hundred pounds in a month's time? And most people took the ten pounds. I just don't understand that. I just don't yeah. get it. Like you're you're on zero now, so you could have a tenner now, but like just wait. I but most people don't do that. It's it's crazy to me. Yeah, because I think well, that's I think that that kind of reminds me of just like the people overestimate what they can do in a year, underestimate what they can do in ten. They a lot of people would think, well, actually, if you give me this ten pounds, I could turn that ten pounds into a hundred pounds, or more than a hundred pounds. And they've got this mindset of like, actually, well, yeah, I'll just take this now and I'm going to turn this into something great. Whereas actually the slower option of just waiting can often be a lot more beneficial rather than, because it's like, I think we have such broad expectations of what we can do in that short period of time to be able to grow things, turn things around. It very rarely goes really quickly and you can't just like 10x what you've got within a really short period of time it is a slow growth thing. It kind of, it's almost like the interest on that needs to build up and build up and build up over time. Yeah. I was watching a documentary about whales the other night and uh, the country or the species the species on, um, on Disney plus. And I was looking at um, orca whales because my worst fear is the ocean and whales are a big part of my massive underwater fear. So I like to scare the shit out of myself by watching those docs because I also <laughs> find them really fascinating. But it was so funny, like watching a documentary on whale behavior, on orca behavior, and realizing that they are so close to humans in terms of like 
the way that they communicate, the way that they have culture, the way that they mourn the death of a member of the pod. But because you're watching a documentary, you're 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 observing that they have behavior. We don't think of humans having behavior. We don't think of like that we have these patterns, but we even though deep down we know that everything that we're doing is some might say like completely not guided by us and that we're there's that thought process isn't there that, that a lot of scientists will argue that we are we actually have no free will and that everything is determined by our genetics and, and our makeup and all of that sort of stuff but assuming that we that we do have some sort of free will we are very much driven by certain behaviors and i think it's once you can realize as as you do in the documentary that you're observing these behaviors as soon as you can like observe them then that's when you can actually overcome them and counteract them. So when it comes to something like wanting the the instant hit now, as opposed to waiting for more in the future, as soon as you can observe that in yourself and realise like, oh shit, I want this now, but that's just because that's my human bit. That's very natural. That's why everyone else does. Let me stop and not want to do that. Then you're going to be able to start to really like, see success that, that just takes us back to what we were talking about earlier about the fundamentals and learning the fundamentals first i think i've been listening to a lot of the andrew huberman podcast recently and he's a like a neuroscientist um works at a university out in america and everything he talks about is just well this is how the human body works this is why we feel like the things we do this is how these emotions happen and basically just breaks it down to like the full fundamental level of like well this is exactly how our brain works this is how our brain reacts in these certain situations and i think just by having that knowledge like learning the fundamentals of like well this is how this actually works this is how our bodies work when you start to feel anxious about something when you start to fear something it's understanding that this is just the way our body is built to react to things and as soon as you understand that then you then you approach things in a very different way when you realize that actually this fear that i'm feeling right now this kind of like anxiousness that's kind of like clouding my head when i'm trying to learn something new it then doesn't stop you it doesn't stop you progressing because you're like oh i don't like this feeling it's understanding how the body works and how actually that anxiety is just releasing the chemical in our brain that helps us learn and just having that simple understanding of like this is what my actual body's reaction is to it compared to how this is going to impact my life just learning and understanding those fundamentals can make you just approach it in a different way and make things go a lot more smoothly because you don't fear it anymore it's not like oh shit i'm feeling anxious about this maybe i shouldn't do it it's i'm feeling anxious about this cool i'm going to go go into this then because by doing this i'm going to learn something and this anxiety feeling in my brain is just a chemical rush that is preparing my brain to learn and having that little mindset shift of understanding that makes your life so much more simple and so much like happier hopefully you guys have learned something from this um i think that was that was good but i can't be the judge of it so you guys are gonna have to get in touch with us and let us know if you did enjoy this episode um and if you want to hear more of adam and david solo episodes because it was requested has it delivered uh you let us know please at rebels create on instagram and connect at creativerebels.co are the best ways to get in touch so yeah as david said if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more of this we have our monthly access event happening tomorrow if you're listening to this on the day of launch uh, that's the 8th of june at 6 p.m uh, if you want to sign up for that you can go to creativerebels.co forward slash access and be added to the mailing list and then we'll send you a link on the day it's free it's free a great way to network with other creatives 
and yeah just great way to kind of connect you with you guys we answer questions from your audience so if you've got any creative questions you want to ask if this episode has kind of spurred some creative wisdom in your head that you need to kind of get across to us um we can do that all there so yeah hopefully see you at access see ya see ya